on this episode of Resi Week, getting to know Tuya, 8K's new association, CES is a smart home takeover, and Ring is watching you. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 154, Three Seashells. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Access Networks. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, for avnation.tv. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by three uh, good friends of mine who were all at CES, unlike myself. First, we have Jason Knott. He is the editor of CE Pro. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Then we have Mark Corbin. He is the VP of Distribution Markets for Vanco. How are you, sir? Good, Matt. Always good to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Then we have Avi Rosenthal. He is the managing partner at CEIOT Partners. How are you, sir? Happy to be here, Matt. Thanks so much for having me today. Thank you guys for for joining us. I'm sure this is a a fun day after just coming back from CES. So on that note, let's jump right into our first story from CES. If you didn't guess, this is going to be a pretty CES heavy uh, show. Tua is at CES 2019 and they are the biggest IoT framework company that nobody in the US has ever heard of. This comes to us from CE Pro and the one and only Julie Jacobson. If you don't know Tua, don't worry, I didn't either until I read this story. They are perhaps the biggest home automation company that nobody stateside or in North America has really ever heard of. This Chinese giant has over 30,000 IoT embedded devices from over 3,000 manufacturers. And, you know, pre-show kind of covering our stories, I went around the horn real quick because, again, I had never heard of these guys Luckily, everyone else here really has. Um, Jason, I do want to start with you on this one because obviously you guys cover this space, but maybe not, you know, you may not be in it as heavily as obvious. Was Tua on your radar or was this a, a revelation to you the same way it was to me? Yeah, until I walked by the Monster booth and Central Hall, I had never heard of it. And that was uh, the end of the first day of the show. And I walked by and, and saw it, but I was completely unfamiliar with it. But it, it kind of goes to the same trend. I think we've talked about this before um, in previous Resi Weeks of here's a company that's exposing IoT and smart home automation at a lower cost to bring in more um, down market um, players into the space. You know, ultimately, is that going to be a good thing? You know, let's hope so. Um, I think you and I have talked about this in the past that I see a lot of the custom integrators migrating to the higher end of the channel. Um, so I don't know um, where Tuya fits into that space other than they uh, openly say that they're at the low, low cost of, of the, uh, the scale here. So Mark, as a manufacturer, let me ask you this. They, you know, essentially pride themselves on being a, a very low price of entry for creating smart home products. And in turn, that gives a uh, just a ridiculously cheap price for the end user. Where is the value for manufacturers who traditionally work within our channel to go after or, or work with Tua 
to create, again, some of these really cost-effective products. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. When I saw the article, um, <clears throat> I found out right away that um, we were going to be talking about them. I've actually been working with them since November. Um, what's really unique is to Jason's point, uh, you know, they're not this big, huge uh, manufacturer that we know about in the U.S., but they make ease of access to any of these smart devices. So their chipset allows you basically to, if you're good at manufacturing something that can be, trolled, be controlled via Google, Alexa, they have an incredible chipset and platform for you as a manufacturer to take to them and assist you in doing all this. Um, it's pretty unique and for the licensing fee that they're offering, it, it, it's, it's very worthwhile. Um, not to mention, uh, you know, there's a lot of devices on the market, simple products like my, my own from matrixes that don't get incorporated in smart devices right now. So I think there's plenty of areas where these guys make a great fit within the market, especially in the AV market too. Very good. Avi, this is your ballpark. This is where yeah. you play. <laughs> Obviously, you've you've known of them for quite a while. Where, like, what what differentiates them mm -hmm. from any other IoT manufacturer? And more importantly, is there any discernible difference that we as integrators or our our clients would ever see or or know about? So. Uh, Matt, I've been watching these guys for quite a while now. If you uh, if you attend any of the Asian sourcing shows, um, you get exposed to Tuya because the you know give you a little bit of history. They were originally formed uh, a couple three years ago to tackle the five largest builders in China, and so the idea was to bring IoT connected devices to those five biggest builders in a uniform fashion. And what they did was they developed a software platform. So the first thing is that they are a software platform, right? They're a backend. They're, they're not necessarily a manufacturer. Um, they don't make the devices themselves. What they do is they take off-the-shelf Wi-Fi and Bluetooth chips, build them into modules, and then sell those modules to the device manufacturers for integration into lighting devices, small appliances, you know, all kinds of different controllers and things. And the idea being that right now it's Wi-Fi and Bluetooth um, and the, the manufacturers don't have to write any software. They don't have to write any firmware. They follow the API that's given to them by Tuya. They integrate onto their product, and instantly that product is compatible with the apps and everything that's available on the Tuya software platform. Yeah. When Tuya realized how successful it was with these builders, they branched out. And before you knew it, they've got you know 3,000 manufacturers, and those numbers vary, right? I mean, I've seen them claim up to 10,000 manufacturers because they're all these little factories in China. But the, it's quite revolutionary because if you think about it, there are dozens of software platforms on the market today, right? Um, dozens of companies that pride themselves uh, software as a service. Um, you buy the software platform from them and then you typically as the manufacturer, you pay per month per connection. Tuya, on the other hand, their business model is buy the module, plug it in and you're done. No monthly charges, no monthly fees to the manufacturer. No monthly fees to the homeowner, the consumer, the, the apartment dweller, what have you. They're going to support this thing. They're going to, uh, you know, give you updates and, 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 and build out the platform for no monthly fee. That's why companies like Monster, when they went out and decided that they wanted to get into the marketplace, looked at them as an alternative because now Monster has the ability to build out without necessarily charging a monthly recurring revenue. Now, this is all very 
mid-market to low-end stuff, right? The mm. high-end integrator, I'm not thinking that they're really going to be affected by Tuya all that much. Um, the, you know, the, certainly not the Control 4s and the Crestrons and the Savants of the world. It's a completely different play. You know, Tuya gives a company like Energizer, for instance. Energizer Licensing also announced at CES that they were going to have a group of connected devices, and they are using Tuya as their back end. I don't imagine that the Energizer brand is going to appeal to a high-end AV user, right? I mean, let's face it. It's, it's a different world out there. There's a lot of room in the market. It's not to take away from anybody or, or, or to talk ill of anybody, but, you know, the average high-end integrator is not going to start to install Pink Bunny devices in a Crestron setup. I, you know, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Very good. Hey, uh, Matt, let me follow up with, with Mark on that. So you were... Does does the Tuya platform, Mark, give a you know a smaller manufacturer like uh, Vanco a, an advantage when uh, you're trying to compete out there in the world against the Googles and the Amazons and and those sorts of guys to be able to put together some sort of a smart home device? You think? Yeah, and honestly, Jason, what it does is it builds kind of like a stepping stone to the point where it allows us to reach to Amazon, Google, and and all those guys much easier. So for me, we've already looking into almost a dozen products that honestly would have taken me probably three times the amount of time to, to look into. And, and you know, it's exactly that. It's a stepping stone to getting more into Amazon, Google, uh, whoever, you know, whoever else is leading the markets right now. Um, even pairing, even if pairing with control foreign type guys, they have stepping stones for everything they could really. And then, not to mention, you know, speaking of the software side, they offer an app that skin, they'll skin it for you and, and they'll, they'll design it and program it for you, which, which as you know, from a, as a manufacturer standpoint, you've heard it a million times, the cost in that alone is, it is very high. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely giving the manufacturers a leg up. It's allowing them to enter the market. It gives them all the hooks into the, the big companies without having to do the heavy lift themselves. And again, no recurring revenue fee. So it's a, it's a really good business model for a company to be able to get in and essentially hide, you know, because the, nobody understands who Tuya is because there is no Tuya product on the market, right? Tuya is a, a B2B play. Nobody's going to go and buy a Tuya product. They're going to buy an Energizer product or a Monster product or a Vanco product right. and have no idea that they're actually using Tuya as their back end. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. All right, gentlemen, let's go on to one of the other splashes that was made at CES. Um, this is something that we've we've been seeing for a while, uh, but continues to make a ton of waves. 8K was everywhere, uh, from LG's roll-up to a, a plethora of other displays and everything else, so much so that they announced a new 8K association, the 8KA. Uh, Mark, I want to start with you on this one. <clears throat> This pretty much is one of those topics that if you want to get a ton of competing opinions, just ask anybody in the industry about 8K and they will happily tell you exactly where they stand as you know, we saw very extensively uh, yesterday on AV and the AM. Um, this new association has pretty much all the major players with the exception of LG and Sony. You, Vanco does not manufacture, you know, 8K displays. You could potentially be manufacturing or working towards other products that work within that, that play. But when we 
talk new displays or sorry, new resolutions and how they're uh, deployed. That usually comes down to content and, uh, you know, essentially TVs displays, not having those two vendors on board yet. Is that concerning to the, the movement, the forward movement of the AK association? Um, I, I think it, I think Matt, that's just probably a, a matter of time it, because honestly, from an HDMI standpoint, since as you know, Vanco does a ton of HDMI distri- uh, manufacturing, um, 2.1 cables have come out now. 2.1 cables are HDMI 2.1 are able to support um, you know an 8K signal. But here's here's the same issue you talked about before um, or just recently. We don't have any devices really to test that with unless we're using a, you know, quantum or some kind of massive signal generator. There's no live feeds right now for us to really test those things. Now, I do think over a matter of time, you're going to see Sony and, and LG jump on board because let's be honest, when, when 4K came out, I used to do presentations on it before I'm doing what I am now. And, and it was, let's be honest, it was a marketing um, 4K technically was not even the 4K full spec when it first came out, and it was a very big marketing. Um, uh, it was a go-to marketing strategy. I love it that 8K is coming into play. Um, is it relevant right now? Absolutely not. To be honest, it's funny. I just did something recently on how relevant is 4K in commercial, you know, and, and we're hardly there yet, even in commercial. So. I'm excited about 8K. It gives us a spend for new marketing, but I will have to say, I think it's going to be quite some time before we see devices and devices is where it has to start first. Very good. Avi, I want to come to you. Um, I had a long debate yesterday on Twitter about 8K. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite places to debate topics, but this was, this is something that I'm excited about. I, I, I've dabbled in the NAB space, the National Association of Broadcasters. So I know how long they've had 8K capture devices, how long they've been building cameras. Uh, we know that uh, NHK, I believe I got that right, uh, out in Japan has been broadcasting like eight hours a day of 8K content in Japan. We sit here in North America and go, yeah, there's not enough 4K content. There's not enough of this. There's not enough of that. Why the heck do we care about 8K? Tell me why we should care about 8K, even if, it's, even if nobody can go buy a Blu-ray or, or watch something on Netflix in 8K. Tell me why I care. I, I think the reason why you care is because it's, it's a, technolo- a technological evolution, right? The idea is you're, we're moving forward. You know, it's sort of like, why did we stop at horse and buggies? Because the automobile came next. So once we had the automobile, why do we keep refining it, Right. There is, there is an argument to be made that we're refining the automobile just for the sake of refining it because we've gotten as good as it gets. I would disagree. I think we refine the automobile because we're always getting better. We're always getting more efficient. We're always getting more technology built into it. And I think 8K is exactly that. You know, it's another step in the evolution. Um, it's getting easier for the manufacturers to develop these things. And so they're showing off because they feel, as once has been famously said, if they build it, they will come. Um, you know, for a long time, when we had 1080p, it was, well, why, do you, why are you building 1080p? We don't have anything to display on it, right? Um, so the, the, if the difference is if they didn't build the 8K televisions, the content would never come. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason why you have to be excited about it is because if they're finally going to put it together and they're going to have displays, and to Mark's point, you already have the connectivity, you already have the transport of the content, 
Now it's just up to the distribution side. And they're going to figure out the distribution side very quickly. You've got fiber, you've got other things that are already in place that will support it. I think it's just a question now of the distribution of the content, the same way it's been a question of the 4K content. Um, I don't look at 8K the way I did it 3D. 3D to me was a phase, was a, was a fad. I think 8K is the natural evolution in the display technology. And the biggest proof I have of that is look what's going on in smartphone displays, how much better they're getting, how much richer they're getting, and how much people are starting to expect their handheld device to have that much of a better experience than the large visual, visual display they have in their living room. Very good. Matt, let me, let me pick up on that. Let me tell you bottom line why uh, integrators should care and why it's good to hear you excited about it. Wrote a story back in November of uh, Just One Touch Video and Audio Center, retail, you know, HTSA member out in LA. They did an 8K event and in four hours, they sold 19 85-inch uh, $15,000 or $14,000 and change Samsung TVs. $260,000 worth of 8K TVs for which there is no content. Right. So congratulations to them. That's why you should care. And then at CES, Samsung had 8K all the way down to a 55 inch. They were showing five different sizes. So uh, I don't remember. I didn't hear the price point. I don't know if you saw the price point on that. I didn't sit, catch it. But um, that's why you should care. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, the other thing that's interesting too, is it, it's not a bandwidth issue. You know, the biggest thing when 4k came out was, Oh geez, the bandwidth. And I think you guys all know that everyone's freaking out about the bandwidth and what HDMI could do, you know, to this point we have fiber now and we have HDMI over fiber. And I mean, 8k bandwidth is, there's no more bandwidth issues. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so it'll be very interesting to watch, and I have not ordered one yet, uh, because I'm <laughs> but don't think I'm not thinking about it. Let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Residential Tech Today. Smart Home Tech is taking over uh, CES 2019. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that was great, Abby. I love it, um, which is fantastic because I'm starting with you. Yep. When, when you walk the floor at CES, Mm -hmm. And again, the reason I'm starting with you is because this is your ballpark. This is what I know you for. Yep. What I wanted to know was as somebody who, who lives and breathes this every day, was it so much that smart home was taking over CES or do we just think that smart home is taking over CES because that's the, the, the color glass that we look through within this industry. We watch the decline of high end you know, audio that used to be such a, a focal point of CES. We used to watch, you know, home theater and that type of thing be so strong at CES. That's all declined. Smart home has kind of taken its place. Has it taken over that much? Or is it just because this is the industry we're in that we think that? So I think it's a combination of things, right? I mean, the, the truth of the matter is there's just as much AV gear at CES as there always was. The difference now is CES is such a diverse program that it looks as if there's more stuff overshadowing the AV things. Now, you don't have an Alexis Park anymore, right? Back in the day, we'd all go around to those sound rooms and we would listen. Um, and so I think that's a little bit of a shift on the high-end audio gear. But the truth of the matter is all the big manufacturers are there for television and AV gear. Um, I think what it boils down to, though, is five years ago, the show was so much smaller that the big booths in the central hall overshadowed everything else. 
The show now is, you know, twice its size. The South Hall is here now. The Sands is all full. You've got Eureka Park. And the world that we live in is much more connected now than it was before. You could actually make an argument that health and wellness is taking over CES. You can make an argument that wearables are taking over CES. You can make an argument that automotive is taking over CES, right? I think each of those categories five years ago did not exist. And my hat's off to the folks at CTA for recognizing the fact that it's not just about the TVs and the speakers, that it's about the connected world. Um, I'm excited about it because, again, as an integrator, this past year was my 29th CES. And for many years, I went, you know, to see the latest and greatest television or the latest and greatest audio gear. But as my career morphed into the connected devices, I felt left out. Well, I'm not left out anymore. Um, the Sands Expo Center, at least a third of it were smart home devices, you know, my, my bread and butter. But the other two thirds were just as interesting. Health and wellness, wearables, age in place, 3D printing is all coming up as well. And then downstairs in the Sands at Eureka Park was just a ton of great ideas, a ton of great ideas. So I, I hear where the, the high-end integrator is saying to himself, you know, is CES still relevant to me? And my answer to that is it's even more relevant. Yeah, Control 4 doesn't show up. You know, everybody goes to Cedia, and I totally get that. But if you want to know what your consumers, what your customers are being exposed to in the media, you've got to come to CES because that's what they're hearing about. That's what they're seeing in their ads. That's what they're seeing in the big box stores. And you've got to understand it so that you can combine it with the stuff you're selling and, and fulfill your consumer's dreams. Very good. Jason, is, is Avi right on that? Is that why we need to go? Because I would argue looking at the, the slate of exhibitors that, yeah, I could go, but a lot of those smart home products don't fit my clientele. Yeah, I mean, there's a portion of the show that I don't go to. Um, you know, I, I roamed very quickly through the North Hall with the automotive things and actually saw a really cool, you know, one of what I think is one of the coolest things I saw at the show, which was a digital backsplash for the kitchen in the North Hall. Wasn't even in the smart home area. But I think Avi's right. And every security company that was there, every appliance company that was there, and of course, all of the smart home companies all had either the term smart home or connected home somewhere in their booth. Right. So, um but he's right. You can make the same case for a lot of those other uh, marketplaces, as, as uh, CES calls them, uh, that were also prevalent. By the way, I don't know if everybody saw that I was a star at the show. You were. Yeah. You got the front the page. Back the, the back of my head was on the front page of the Las Vegas Review Journal the second day. Why the do show. you think you're here today? Taking a picture of a toilet. <laughs> so if that wasn't apropos, I don't know what. The highlight of your life, correct? Yeah. Well, by the way, that toilet, just so you know, Jason, we, we did a, uh, a, one of my clients did a uh, technology home, a home of the future. Uh, KB Home did a home of the future in Henderson, and they have those toilets in that, um, in that house. And it reminded me so much of, if you remember the movie Demolition Man, where he's got the three seashells, and everybody's yes. leaving him because he doesn't know how to use the three seashells? Well, let me tell you, that Kohler toilet has got a control system in it that it took me a good three or four minutes just to determine how to move the seat around. So it's a very complicated piece of technology. If you haven't seen that Kohler toilet, it is amazing. It um, really is. I don't know how to get a sponsorship. There you go. <laughs> I, exactly. I have no idea how I'm going to segue from three seashells and a Kohler toilet, but I'm going to. Uh, the last story I want to cover really quickly 
this is something that's been around for a while. And Mark, I am going to start with you on this one. Uh, Amazon-owned Ring has been reportedly spying on its customers' camera feeds. Uh, this comes to us from BGR. Now, this is a story that has been around a couple of times. Um, but what kind of made this one big was that essentially, supposedly, they're They've got everybody's videos just stuck in one folder on an S3 uh, cloud storage and all of their engineers and executives have access to it. Mark, when you see this, when you, when you hear this, and I know you guys work with Amazon and, and have a good relationship there, what does this mean for end users, depending on how valid and how true this is, but what does this mean to end users thinking that there's a potential that every video from their doorbell cam to their ring cam inside their home is open for anyone within that company to view. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely not a good thing. I think it's uh, awareness, right? How many people are aware and then how many people really care? I, I, I mean, I, maybe so, a lot of people do not care. Um, I think it's a bigger difference we've been talking about. Uh, and I know Jason wrote something about this, but we, We've been talking about even Amazon, Alexa listening, Google listening. I think listening is kind of one thing. I think videos, you're talking kind of a whole different uh, privacy. And we all know at some point, I think an Alexa is listening beyond when you command it to listen because advertisements pop up and things pop up. But um, I, I, think, I think it's one of those things where uh, video is crossing maybe a different line than just a voice command. And I think, you know, Avi and Jason can talk more because they probably do a little more with it, but, uh, it would, it would, it surprised me a little bit on the video side. That was pretty shocking. Jason, you've, you've reported this on this in the past. Um, I want to say back in March or something like that. Um, but this is, this has been a problem that's been around before. Why do people not get a chance to, you know, really realize this. Why does this get just lost in industry press? Um, I think, uh, you know, as Mark said, a lot of the privacy barriers that people had in place when we were all growing up have, have really disappeared, you know, with the social media environment. The one thing I'll remember from the story that I did uh, back last spring, in order for uh, anybody to use the content for marketing purposes and or for law enforcement to gain access to the video, uh, it, you have the homeowner will ha does have to write off on that. So in other words, Ring cannot give your door front doorbell camera to the police because they want to check the street in front. The homeowner does have to write off on that giveaway to somebody else, or you know, use not giveaway, but use or viewing by somebody else. Um, so there's a couple of, uh, or at least some layer of of a barrier in there. But again, uh, the story that we did. Whoever is recording the content owns the content. Avi, I, I understand completely what Jason's saying, but should that make me as a consumer feel okay with this, that they're not encrypting my, my video? They're not making it, uh, or they're not locking it down as much as possible. And I, I know from personal experience, uh, we sell ring. We've had situations where we've had problems with some of their stuff and got on the phone with their engineering department and they can and have remoted in with just an email address. Now, of course, I gave them that, the client's email, 
but they were able to go, okay, now go in front of the camera and push the button. Yeah, we are getting that. Why isn't it going here? They could see that without, you know, passwords and, and other things. Right, without should, a token. That, should that concern us greater than it does? So I, I think that it should. And then the reason why is because a company only has one chance at gaining the trust of their consumers. Once that trust is given up or that trust is broached, it's very hard to get back. You look at what happened with Target. It has taken them years to get over the fact that they had some credit cards stolen. And I think that companies really have to be sensitive to the fact that if they broach that trust with those consumers, there are huge ramifications. And so, you know, I'm always guiding my clients to, to err on the side of openness, to change their EULAs not to be legalese, to fill them out in a, in a, and present them in a very simple way so the consumer understands completely what they're signing off on. And, you know, to Jason's point, yeah, it takes the, uh, another sign-off to get to the police or another sign-off to release it, but most consumers don't even realize that because they just check the box and they move on. And I think it's something that, that for education is happening right now in the industry. Um, data, is, is, data is the next great frontier that we have to deal with in privacy. Who owns it? Who keeps it? If you look at what goes on in the healthcare industry, it's all about, you know, nobody can talk to anybody, right? So the pendulum swings the other way. But I think companies have to look at their, their policies and procedures very carefully because if they give up that trust with that consumer, let's face it, there's a hundred of the companies out there making doorbell cameras. Mm -hmm. You know, Amazon doesn't make the only one. Ring doesn't make the only one. There's yeah, something for the consumer to go if they feel more comfortable. And so they've got to make sure that they're making the consumers, you know, feel comfortable with their decision. So, so let me ask all three of you this, and anyone can chime in. What is our responsibility as professionals within this residential home technology base? What is our responsibility in selling these, advising our clients on these products? Education. In my opinion, it's education. It's, it's helping your consumer understand your customer, understand what they're signing off on and what the ramifications of it are. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, education's huge. And I think a lot of the things is, you know, we're all thinking about doorbell as, a, you know, or the ring doorbell, but I'm sure this includes all the Nest Cams that are set up within when homes. And, and, and I mean, that, that education is probably not even out there, to be honest. So, um, yeah, that's huge. Very and good. remember, as high-end integrators, we're the consultant to the installation, right? We're the consultant, we're the expert. And so it's our responsibility to make sure that our customers feel comfortable with their decisions. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there. We've run out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. I know you're all probably still recovering from the joys of CES for a week. Uh, Jason, if people want to connect with you, read uh, all your coverage of CES and uh, obviously get more information about CE Pro, where can they go and do that? They can go to cepro.com. In fact, we have a, a dedicated page for CEPro dot com backslash ces they can find all their ces coverage and they can follow me on twitter jason w not excellent thanks again for joining us mark as always it's been a pleasure if people want to connect with you learn more about vanco and the whole suite of products that you guys have now where can they go and do that absolutely please visit our website at vanco the number one dot com or visit us on twitter linkedin at vanco international and facebook as well excellent thanks again thank you man of course. Avi, as always, it's been a pleasure. If people want to connect with you, learn more about your new venture, uh, CEIoT Partners, where can they do that? Well, they can certainly do it on our brand new website, CEIOTpartners.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter at A-V-I-R-F-L. 
So please join me there. Excellent. Thanks again, gentlemen, for joining us. For myself, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter, currently uh, ranting about four, or sorry, 8K. But more importantly, uh, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Thank you.